Hey, I'm Isaac from InDoubt. In the next 60 seconds, I'm gonna give you five practical tools and reminders for sharing the gospel. You ready? All right, number one, pray. We often forget about the importance and necessity of prayer in evangelism. Get on your knees and pray for the lost. Number two, befriend non-Christians. They're not scary, don't worry, just do it. But don't jump right into the gospel. Let them share with you their story and their journey and enjoy the company. Then, number three, share your story. Tell them about your authentic testimony of how God changed you and how he's still changing you. Don't exaggerate, just say it as it is and try not to use too many Christian words. And don't forget to, four, share all the essentials of the gospel. Don't emphasize or de-emphasize certain aspects based on the person. Talk about who God is, sin, Jesus, his death and resurrection, what that means for us, the Spirit's role in our lives, how we ought to respond daily, and the truth of eternity. And then five, pray again. After you share the gospel with someone, whether they received it well or not, pray. We forget the power of prayer all too often. And finally, as a reminder, it's not our job to save. Jesus is the Savior, not us. Our job is to let down our nets. In other words, spread the gospel. It's in our sharing of the gospel that the Spirit opens the ears and hearts of the lost. Now go, make some friends, and share the gospel. Amen, amen, amen. The voice of evangelism is the most important prophetic voice in our world today. When I mention the voice of the prophet, typically we think of someone who's telling us what the end times will be like. But really, the voice of the prophet is foretelling truth as much as foretelling the future. And we need the voice of the prophet in this generation. Throughout the Old and New Testaments, the voice of the prophet is primary. In the Old Testament, you will find that it's the prophets that are the voice of God to the people of God and to the nations of the world. They become the mouthpiece of God's revelation. And in the New Testament, while the prophets are not as authoritative as they were in the Old Testament, we see the value and importance of prophetic ministry throughout the New Testament revelation. Prophecy is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit, word of wisdom, word of uh, faith, or word of knowledge, and prophecy. Prophecy becomes an utterance gift that God brings revelation to the church. Prophecy is also listed in Romans chapter 12 as one of the ministry gifts. So we have the supernatural gifts of 1 Corinthians. We have the ministry gifts of Romans 12 mentioning prophecy and prophets. And in the office gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, he gave gifts to men. He gave some to be apostles and prophets. So in all three listings of the gifts of the Spirit manifest through the New Testament church, you find the role of the prophet being primary and being highlighted. And Paul tells us that he wished that we would all prophesy. When he talks about tongues and interpretation of tongues in the public worship service, not in your private prayer life, but in the public worship service, he talks about the value of a word from God spoken to the people of God. In Acts chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible tells us that during this time of challenge that they're writing about, 
some prophets came down to Jerusalem to Antioch. Agabus was the leader of those prophets, and they prophesied a worldwide famine that was going to come so that the church could gather together and send relief to the churches in Judea. And in Acts chapter 13, when the church was beginning to mobilize and deal with issues, a business meeting was formed in Acts chapter 13. And it tells us that in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers and then names them. And the prophets and teachers that had gathered together in that moment felt moved by the Holy Spirit to send Barnabas and Saul to the work God had called them. So I hope you're seeing how valuable the role of the prophet is. And to also understand that the role of the prophet is not just an office that some are called to, but that every spirit-filled believer, every child of God should be willing to be the mouthpiece for God. When God puts something on your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, you need to be willing to give voice to that. So we're jumping ahead this morning from where we've been in Ezekiel. We're going to jump way ahead to Ezekiel 33. And Ezekiel 33 ends with this statement in verse 33. When all this comes true, and it surely will, everything that God speaks to Ezekiel in that chapter, when all this comes true, and it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. They will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, contextually, they have just received word that Jerusalem has completely been destroyed. Jerusalem and the temple are fallen. This word comes to them. They've gathered around Ezekiel to hear a word from God. And Ezekiel 33 says, in that moment, God opened his mouth. That simply means that God gave him a word to speak to those who had gathered broken and in sorrow over the report they've just received about their homeland. And when he begins to speak a word for the day, God does it in such a way that people will say there has been or there is a prophet among them. So I have to ask us, is the prophetic voice being manifest in our world today? Is there a prophetic voice in the United States? And that prophetic voice should happen within the body of Christ. I am convinced that Berean Church needs to be a prophetic voice in this part of Iowa and around the world. We need to have a word from God that will impact the world around us and they will say, there is a prophetic spirit, there is a prophetic anointing, there is a prophetic word that pierced my heart when I attend Berean Church. And it may be that it comes from the pulpit or it may be a conversation that you have in the foyer where someone asks a question and God opens your mouth and you give a word that you know is coming from God. Would to God we would all restrain ourselves from speaking until God opens our mouth. Hallelujah. Is there anyone in the house right now that we would be that prophetic voice? So I want us to consider from Ezekiel 33, 
How can we corporately be the prophetic voice that our culture needs? How can we step into that? And it won't be a full answer, but I think there's some clues in Ezekiel 33 that will encourage us how to move forward in being a prophetic voice to this generation, which is exactly what God has called us to be. He hasn't called you to just be ready for heaven and coast your way to the pearly gates. He's called you to make a difference in the world that you and I live in. And everyone that believes that said, amen. How can we do that? Well, first, I want you to consider this from Ezekiel 33. Um, and I'm gonna knit a couple thoughts together. God's promises must be possessed. If you're going to be the voice of God to this generation, you need to be able to possess the promises of God in your life. And I want to expand that just a little bit. The people have gathered together around Ezekiel at the time that they hear that the temple has fallen and Jerusalem has fallen. Offer this argument to one another and really to God. Abraham was one man and he possessed the land. If God could give the promise to one man, we are many. Therefore, it should be easy for us to possess the land. This is our land. We should be able to claim it as our possession. The problem is God sees it a little bit differently. We live in a Christian world that thinks you deserve the promises of God, that they belong to you, that all you have to do is read them and you can walk in them. And that's why the church today is powerless by and large is because we're claiming things we have never possessed. Here's what God says to them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Since you eat your meat with blood still in it and look at your idols and shed blood, you, question mark, should possess the land. You think that you can live however you want and that you can own the promises of God and God says, nay, not so. I grew up in a time in the 70s, I was a, we child, when the emphasis has been on in Pentecostal circles for too long to claim the promises of God. I wanna take that language out of our vocabulary and replace it with this. We need to possess the promises of God. You can claim anything you want, but you only can use what you possess. I've claimed things that haven't come to pass because I never possessed them. There was a little song that we used to sing, a chorus when I was growing up and we'd all get excited. And it kind of created a false culture when it comes to the prophetic voice and the promise of God. How many of you ever remember this one? Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line, I am standing on his promises divine. Every promise in the book is mine. That is absolutely not true. And let me tell you why. The Bible says, how many are still with me? The Bible says the wicked will be turned into hell. That's a promise I'm not claiming. 
Hello? There are some promises I don't want. Come on. There are some promises I don't want. And the vast majority, if not all the promises of God, come with conditions. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The question asked, can I be baptized? And the response, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You cannot claim the promise of God if you are not willing to fulfill the condition that goes with it and then own that promise in your life and walk in it. We walk by faith. That does not mean that we walk by faith in such a way that we just believe, but that we are possessing the promises of God. People will ask, well, I don't feel like God's at work in my life. Well, what are you doing to possess it, to own the promise? The promises of God must be possessed, not claimed. Israel thought the land was theirs no matter what. But God demonstrates to them that their lifestyle has caused them to forfeit the promise and it doesn't belong to them. Let me give you another example. I've listened to people for a long, long time pray that God would kill the harvest of their seed sowing. God can forgive you, but you're likely to still reap a harvest. Hello? I've told you this story before, but my grandfather, I prayed for him from the time that I was a little child. In fact, when I was nine years old at camp, um, there was a, an emphasis on family and Jesus, and I wrote a card to my grandpa that I loved him and I wanted him to go to heaven and I wanted him to invite Jesus into his life and had shared that and sent it to him, never did get a response. I don't know what he thought about this punk grandson that was writing to him and trying to evangelize him, but it came out of a heart of love. Years go by and I loved my grandpa. He was, uh, he was hilarious. He was, in fact, one of my favorite memories is Grant, this would happen every year we'd go up for Christmas. He had his recliner, and I've carried that over to my house. Stay out of my recliner. I don't care who you are or how old you are, get out of my recliner. So the kids, the grandkids, think it's hilarious to jump in my recliner and say, Poppy, we're in your chair. And I've discovered there's an easy way to resolve it. You tip it over gently so they don't get hurt. Well, we didn't do that to my grandpa, but he always had a canister of salted nuts right by his chair. And we tried to sneak some of his salted nuts and he would scold us. And so he was always barefoot in that chair and we'd crawl along it and then we'd tickle the bottom of his foot and he'd yell at us and then we'd grab his salted nuts and run away. <laughs> but a day came as we grew older and I got married, my grandfather had, and I didn't know at the time that he had a faith background, but was not living for the Lord and no opportunity. And my grandfather was dying of emphysema. And he asked me to come see him. So Carol and I and our, our son at that time, we had one child, drove up to see him. And you know how awful emphysema sounds? You ever been around someone? I mean, it sounds like you're hacking out your lungs. And all the way home, our little 
our little son in the car seat. We're driving home, and he's doing what he heard Grandpa do. <laughs> it was, was horrible. It was horrible. So I'm waiting for Grandpa to ask me something, and he doesn't. Now watch this. I was there to be a prophetic voice, but I was waiting to get an invitation. And he didn't ask, and he said, I'm going to bed. So he went to bed, and I said, I sat there feeling horrible, and I said, Grandma, can I go and talk to Grandpa? And she looked me in the eye and said, why do you think he asked you to come? So I went in the bedroom, talked to him, and I led him to Jesus. And he prayed the prayer. So then the next morning, we're talking, and I asked him about that, and he said, you know, when you prayed for me, nothing happened. But I, but I prayed, Jesus, if you are who my grandson says you are, then let me sleep through the night. He hadn't slept through the night in years. I don't remember anything from that prayer till my alarm went off in the morning and he gave his life to Jesus because he possessed a promise. Are you hearing me right now? He possessed a promise. However, he died of emphysema. There are consequences to our choices. There are consequences to our lifestyle. There are consequences to our behaviors. And it's not enough for you to claim the promise. Is anyone hearing me this morning? It's not enough to claim the promise. You need to possess it. You need to enter into that. You need to fulfill the lifestyle that's required to go along with the favor and blessing of God. God, you said in your word, you said and God responds back, yes, and I also said this. You're not possessing it. You're claiming what isn't yours. Is that making sense? If you want a prophetic voice in this generation, then learn to possess, not flippantly in a positive confession world, claim promises that you don't own. You need to possess promises that you can live in. God said, you're claiming a promise, but you're not living in it, and it's not yours. Are you living in such a way that the promises can be fulfilled in your life. We need to possess the promises. Second, if you want a prophetic voice, you need to understand this. People are talking about you. <laughs> here's, what it, here's what, a little bit out of context, but I'll clear it up in a minute, but here's what God said to Ezekiel. As for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses. They're talking about you. <laughs> Do you know how many times I've had someone come to me and say, Pastor, I, I, I don't like this church. Why? Because people are talking about me. If you ever, don't raise your hand, just stay the way you are. But have you ever felt like someone was talking about you? Well, let me put you at ease. 
They are. <laughs> they surely are. They surely are talking about you. There's only one kind of person that they don't talk about, and that's a person who's absolutely having no impact on anybody at any time. So if you are inert, having no influence, and nobody knows you're alive, then nobody's talking about you. You're just taking up space. <laughs> but if you're going to do anything, somebody's going to talk about you. So I did a little research on the internet about people talking about you, and I didn't find a single case where anybody wrote a single article about when people are talking nice about you. They're all about people talking bad about you behind your back. We live in a paranoid culture. So do I think people are talking about me behind my back? Oh, I know you are. Do you think I'm talking about you behind your back? Count on it. <laughs> it's the nature of human beings. I don't mean in a bad way, but that can be as simple as my saying to my wife, Pastor Nathan killed it this morning. It doesn't have to be negative, but that's where our mind goes. People are talking about me. And if you're feeling like that all the time, you need deliverance. That's called paranoia. But there are some things that reinforce that. So I play racquetball three mornings a week with five guys. And we usually have four that show up of the five. And you know what always happens? The four that are there talk about the one who isn't. So you know what I go home thinking about? What do they say about me when I'm not there? And I know they're just talking about what a fair player I am, how effective and talented I am. <laughs> I'm sure that's what's happening. If you don't know, why do you have to go to the dark side? Why do you have to believe the negative? Yes, they're talking about you. They have opinions about you. Those who have rejected God will have an opinion about you. Those who love God will have an opinion about you. Get used to the idea that people are saying something about you. Unless, I hate to say it, unless you're just a waste of space. They're talking about you. So then, here's the question. Why do you assume it's negative, number one? And number two, and I know this is a, not a good song and it's gonna call a country song up to your mind, but I couldn't think of a better way to say it. Why don't you just decide to give them something to talk about? Hello? You can determine what they're gonna talk about. How do you wanna know, be known? What kind of reputation do you want to have? Do you want to be the kind of person where Paul writes, Demas hath forsaken me. Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. If you live that kind of lifestyle, that's what people are going to say behind your back. They're going to talk about the evil that's happening and the evil that's going on and what you're doing or not doing. Or you can talk about Timothy is with me. The church at Philippi blessed me. What are you doing to dictate the conversations that are happening when you're not there. 
You can have an influence. Come on, is there anyone in the house right now? You can have an influence. You can determine your reputation. You can make a mark on people's lives. You can give them something to talk about. And I, I want to put it in three categories that you can decide how people talk about you. Number one, there are people who will talk about you slanderously. They'll lie and say things about you. Why do you believe that? Because I know it's happened to me. I know there have been situations in leadership roles in Iowa where things have been said about me that weren't true, that got back to me, that I was being accused of, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to let... <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to say it just like that. I'm not going to let some moron steal my joy. I'm going to not let some goofball steal my peace. I believe that God is the guardian of my reputation. And if people want to believe lies about me, then they're not worth my trouble. I'm not going to worry about slander. The Lord is my helper. He will watch over me. And you can believe what you want to believe. So I'm suggesting to you that people can say slanderous things about you, and they will, and they probably are. And if you want, I can let you know. No, I'm kidding about that. I can't. <laughs> kidding. So don't, don't get all whipped out of shape because there's a seductive talk about you that we can fall prey to. Do you know what Jesus warned us of? Beware when all men speak well of you. There's a seduction in wanting the praise of men, wanting everybody to say good things about you. And I'm just gonna tell you, <laughs> oh, how did I get in this? Where's my waiters? If... A pastor wants to live his life where everyone praises him and pats him on the back. He cannot be a prophetic voice in this generation. That's not going to happen. But there's a seduc seduction. I want to be liked. I, I know I'm just a warm, fuzzy teddy bear that everybody loves. I know that. How many of you want to be liked? If you don't raise your hand, you are a liar. How many of you want to be liked? And there's a, do you, are you get, there's a seductiveness in that to not say the hard things, to not speak the truth, to not communicate clearly because they may take it wrongly. And I'm not talking about you just simply being mean to people, but there are times where there are things that need to be said that will not garner you favor. But third is you can build a reputation that's not worried about slander or submitting to seduction, but is built around spiritual truth. Here's what I, here's how I want my life to be. You can decide what you want to do. But if people are talking about my, behind my back, here's what I hope they're saying. Don't ask him if you don't want to know the truth. That's what I hope they're saying. He won't compromise it for his kids. He won't compromise it for you. I hope they're saying, that's someone that I believe hears from God. 
that's someone that I want to have praying for me. Why not decide that you want to build a spiritual reputation? Here's what I know, and I won't pick on a lot of people, but I'm going to pick on Sharon Thomas because you're right here. Here's what I've heard about Sharon Thomas. She will put it to you straight. And she will love you all day long. Come on. And she makes incredible hand pies. I just wanted to throw that in for next year. I'm sowing seed for the future. Yes, you can decide. Give them something to talk about. Do something. Demonstrate your faith and not worry about what they'll say because it's more important that you have the praise of God than the praise of man. And we cannot do both. We cannot receive the praise of men and the praise of God. For if I seek the praise of men, I cannot be the servant of God. They're going to talk about you. They're going to talk about you. Feel better? And last, you ready? Enjoying God's word is not enough. What were they saying? They were saying positive things about what what at first glance appears to be a positive thing. But it really wasn't. Do you know that sometimes people will flatter you so they can dull your message. Watch what happens. As for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking about you. I mean, I just think about if God spoke that to you. Hey, uh, son, people are talking about you. That's not a surprise. By the walls at the doors of the houses saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. My people come to you as they usually do and sit before you to listen to your words, but they do not put them into practice. They come to hear you. They like hearing your words, but they're not putting them into practice. With their mouths, they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Instead, to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. But they do not put your words into practice. Oh, wow. Did you ever go hear Ezekiel? It's amazing the things he says. It's almost like there's a poetry to his words. You can almost hear the music playing in the background. He's, it's just amazing the way that God speaks through him. And there's a flattery that comes from them so that they don't have to be obligated to the content that he expresses. It's not enough. You say, what do you mean? It's not enough to enjoy. I, I, this, this is going to make somebody mad. I've already demonstrated that I'm not worried about it. But <laughs> Can I do this? I don't understand. Oh, this is going to make somebody really mad. I'm, I'm nervous right now. But I don't understand people who get emotionally stirred by listening to Elvis sing How Great Thou Art. If he believed that, he'd have died differently. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some secular artist, some secular group 
wants to con believers into buying their music and all they've got to do is sing a, a, a spiritual song that we're all acquainted with and then we justify that by buying it and saying, oh, that just warmed my heart. It should only warm your heart if it's coming from God to them, to you, and a person living an ungodly lifestyle isn't going to be able to bring the Spirit of God to your life. Oh, but it's so, Pastor, it's so beautiful. I really have never received that kind of accusation. He's melodic. It's like playing a harp when you listen to him. No, it's more like, it's kind of like hearing a train wreck. The point being that I know people who pull out their promise box verse for the day. They can quote a scripture because it is so soothing. Oh, church, it's not enough. I said, it's not enough to enjoy the word of God. You have to engage the word of God. It's not enough to enjoy. Oh, my favorite preacher, my favorite singer, my favorite speaker. But are you living what's being said? Are you doing what's being communicated? Many enjoy spiritual things. Another example would be the Lord's Prayer. As long as I'm meddling and you're just looking at me, I'm going to keep going. How many pagans know and can recite the Lord's Prayer and not mean a word of what they pray? Our Father who art in heaven, holy, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. And do nothing that manifests that lifestyle. It's not magic. It's not mysticism. It's a prayer to align you with God. Can I go a couple more steps? Why in the world do people want a church wedding who have no desire to live for God? Why in the world? You didn't want anything to do with the church beforehand. I already know you won't want anything to do with the church behind afterwards, but somehow we want the comfort of a church wedding. Hello? Or a church funeral. Live for the devil has never been in church, but maybe somehow we'll sanctify that dead body. I'm going to tell you the strangest funeral I was ever at. There was a pastor whose name was Ivan. My middle name is Ivan, so I already liked him. And he had to be close to 90 years old. He'd been in that community for a long time. I've never been in a funeral like this in my life. Family is sitting here. The casket is there. And he calls the guy by name. And he says, I'm not going to pretend and play games with you, any of you this morning. You all know that this guy lived like the devil and went straight to hell. <laughs> Dear And he said, I'm here to tell you how you can go to heaven and you don't have to go to hell with him. I am not recommending that me methodology. I am thinking, pastor, when they come for you, I'm on my way out of town. I ain't got your back on this one. 
But think about it. Why is it in the important moments of our lives, we want some kind of divine endorsement, but we don't want to live for him in between those divine or those important moments. It's because we want a harp. It's because we want a song. It's because we want something that makes us feel better. It's because we have itching ears and we want people to tell us what we want to hear. I'm telling you that enjoying it isn't enough. Now, I'm going to take it a little step further. Just so you know, I think some of you need to know. But if we do weddings or funerals here, you need to know up front that because of some things that happened, we screen all the music. But you are not coming into this house and playing Nickelback at your funeral. I'm not going to stand in here and listen to someone sing about where the liquor is cheap and the women are free. Are you hearing me? This is the house of God, whether it's a wedding or a funeral. If you want the favor of God, it doesn't happen in a ceremony. It happens in your walk with him. And it's time for the church to quit pacifying and start being prophetic. God is calling for a prophetic voice in this generation. People enjoy it but aren't doing anything about it. They do not put into practice what they claim to enjoy. And what does James tell us? James tells us that faith without works is dead being alone. And I know that Paul makes it clear. We are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, lest anyone should not have works, lest anyone should boast. Yes, you are saved, but once you're saved, if you're saved, you will produce a fruit that demonstrates that. The devil believes in God, but faith without accompanying works is dead, being alone. Doesn't matter what you profess, it matters what you possess. You have to put it in practice. Oh, they love to hear you, Ezekiel. He'd be on the travel circuit and they'd have him come and speak and hear him because they loved to hear. And I, I have a hard time reading Ezekiel and picturing him having a melodic voice. He was kind of a strange duck when you read how God worked through him. But it isn't enough to be sentimental. You need to be saved. So let me ask you, Berean Church, are we living in such a way? Oh, oh God, help us. Are we living in such a way that when people talk about Berean Church, and I hope they are, I hope they are talking about us. I don't even care what they're saying. I just hope they're talking. I hope they know we're here. But I hope people are saying, when you go to Brian Church, you'll know there's a prophet among us. You'll know that's a place where the word of God is primary and it's proclaimed. And I'm telling you, church, hear me clearly, it's gonna get worse, it's not gonna get better. There is a culture that is arraying itself 
for bloody battle against the church. And there are two ways to avoid it. You can compromise and submit, or you can rise up and say, this is the word of God, and I believe that it's true. You need to be sure that you're possessing the promises, not just claiming them. You need to be sure that you're crafting a reputation that people will talk about. And you better be sure that you're doing more than just being blessed by the word, but you're engaging the word. And if we will do that, the world will say, there is a prophet, there is a prophetic place in central Iowa that's on University Avenue. I don't know about you, but I'm gonna call us. I don't know how you feel, but I wanna be that prophetic voice. More than being popular, I want us to be prophetic. Hello? Let's ask God to help us. Let's stand together. When I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround become shadows in the
Let me give you one last word of encouragement. While we were worshiping, I heard someone say, I can imagine someone would say, I am so glad I came to Berean this morning because now, oh no, don't say yes yet because I'm gonna take a, I'm gonna take a left-hand turn. I'm so glad I came to Berean because now I know that I'm a prophet. No, you're a pain in the neck. Those are not the same. Come on. Just because you make someone mad and you're a jerk doesn't make you prophetic. Because prophetic people are possessing the promises. Pathetic, pathetic, prophetic people are living in a way that they're manifesting the fruit of the Spirit and care about what people have to say. And prophetic people are engaging the Word of God. So don't misunderstand me. This isn't about making enemies. It's about being the voice of God without compromise. And you have to have the right character for that to happen. Amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. Let's be the voice of God to this generation. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Be an encouragement today. And remember the board meeting or the business meeting at 530 and pray for God's favor.